There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the fifth episode of the Titans of Food Service podcast. Today, I am joined by Ivan Estrada with Kings Hawaiian. Ivan has created an incredible career in food service, and you are not going to want to miss this episode. Let's get right to it. Ivan, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. We are so excited to have you on here today. You've created an incredible career in food service. And I think it's one that many people are striving for and working towards. And so why don't we start off with how did you get into food service? Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me, uh, Nick. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a great honor to be here. Uh, yeah, so actually my, first, my career started at Pepsi, but more on the retail side, right? So grocery retail, okay. small format retail. When I left uh, Pepsi and did a little bit more CPG type of higher level selling with Nestle, uh, my second tour back uh, with with PepsiCo was on the food service side. So uh, this was probably uh, 2009, and it you know it was my first foray into it. Uh, at the end of the day, it was account management. So I was like, all right, well, I know that, right? Uh, but ever since then, since 2009 on, I I haven't wanted to work in another industry. Uh, I love the food service industry. Uh, it's a much more of a consultative approach, which I loved because at the end of the day, it's long-term relationships versus, hey, what's next quarter uh, bringing us? Right. So I think you have to cultivate a lot more. I think it allows to, um, and especially in me, it allows you to be yourself a lot more. So I'm a big proponent of bringing your whole self to work. So who you are, that diversity of thinking, diversity of upbringing, all that stuff makes you who you are. And I think that's a good way to leverage that, to build relationships and, and uh at the end of the day, you know how I got started in it with a brand like PepsiCo or a company like PepsiCo with multiple brands um, really allowed me to kind of hone in and look at strategy specific to brand, uh, specific to how do we activate a brand on premise, mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. And I think it's something that food service does very well. It's how do you interact with a brand when you're not shopping down an aisle at a grocery store? It's a much different interaction. So I really think right. it, it allows people to interact with you in a, in a different way, um, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, I like that. When it comes to the brand strategy, uh, you know, when you're building out the brand strategy for a food service company, what are, how did you learn how to, how to do that? Or what are maybe some things that you look at when you're building out a brand strategy? Yeah, when we look at kind of go-to-market in the past, I mean, whether it's at, been at PepsiCo or Nestle or even Granger, you know, at the end of the day, it's authenticity. It's you know, what are we known for? I, uh, I've read Simon Sinek's book like six times back and forth on uh, always start with why. And I really apply that to a lot of the things I do. Uh, the why has to be there because if it's not the how and the what can change, but if the why doesn't, it keeps you really focused. So a, a lot of just in my career, what I've been able to do is a, I mean, let's, let's keep it real, right? I've been, I've, I've had the privilege of working for some really great brands. So I didn't build a brand. I didn't do that. But um, that has allowed us to now say, okay, from a food service perspective, how do we go to market with those brands in a way that is going to resonate with a B2B uh, scenario, not B2C, right? So the consumer side marketing handles that, but on the B2B right. side, 
right? How do, how do I make my brand come to life? How do I make that brand stand out in a world of, uh, of just op- op- options for, for operators? How do we stand out and how do we really bring relevance uh, that resonates with operators? So I think as a manufacturer brand in the industry, it's really helped us to be authentic, to really hone in on what our brand is about, what is the vibe that we bring. And I think, you know, Nick, we've been on, we've been on calls together and, and you know, we partnered together. And I think that's one of the, the things that separates our, our brand currently uh, with our sales team is, is how we come to, come to the table as a partner. And um, that authenticity really kind of goes hand in hand. I think no one person on my team is alike. And I love that because... At the end of the day, that diversity, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, brings such a different thought process to what we can do. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And going back to the beginning, it's interesting, you started in retail, and then you moved to food Mm -hmm. service. It's not so often that you see that. And what was that process kind of like? Or or maybe is there a nugget that you can give to somebody on how to bridge from retail over into food service? Yeah, um, you're right. It's a it's a completely different feel. Um, I would say that the hardest part was the timelines, right? So, like you all know this, uh, selling a brand in food service, right? You you start cultivating relationships, you start kind of bringing relative and uh, information, and you become a partner. So that maybe eighteen months or twenty four months down the line, uh, there is uh, a way to be able to uh, partner together and bring uh, value to an operator or to you know a client. In retail, it's a much more kind of, I do this, this happens next, and we look at it, we learn from it, and we adjust, and we keep going. And I think that to me, the timeline of just the pipeline of how long it is, was probably the biggest thing, especially being a salesperson that likes to succeed, likes to keep track of scores, likes to kind of look at the scoreboard and see and progress and push yourself to to a certain number, if you will. I think the food service industry, while we do do that... (laughs) We look at more long range type of pipeline uh, opportunities. So I think that is the biggest change in mentality uh, from from the retail side to food service. Yeah, we see that, you know, in our company is we'll be approached by brands that maybe they're in retail only Mm -hmm. trying to get into food service Mm -hmm. or maybe they their, you know, managerial team is more of a retail focus. And the timelines are definitely different, as you mentioned. You know, food service yeah. is more of that relationship sell, whereas retail is different. And a lot of times there's the, you know, hey, it's been 30 days. Why haven't you brought on a big chain? Well, the process takes a little bit longer than 30 days. It actually takes a lot longer to build a relationship. They have to test it. You know, maybe work with their advertising and marketing teams, create all new menus. So it's a whole process that, as you know, takes time. Being in the room where it happens, right? Being in the consideration set, those are only things that happen when you have a relationship that you can cultivate in food service, right? A lot of these chefs, a lot of these operators, they're making decisions. You're not there. You're never going to thread the needle on the exact moment where R&D needs help. It's never going to happen. I mean, it's just it's not the way the business is set up. So having those uh, relationships where you can say, hey, you know what? When the time arises, right, or when you're working on something, think of me, uh, I think is the biggest difference. Um, And that's how we look at our broker partners, right? It's who can get us in the room where the decisions are made so that way when we're not there and the decisions are being made, we're in the decision set. Uh, that's that's the, the crux of everything we do is how do we be in the room where it happens when decisions are being made? How is King's Hawaiian or any brand, brand X, Y, Z, 
How are they in the room when those decisions are being made? And I love that you you mentioned the book uh, "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. That's a mm-hmm. that's an, a great book. And yeah. so when you start with your why, you know you kind of get your why and your how and your what and your who. How do you get that message out? What's kind of maybe the first step, and then how do you scale it from there? Well, that's a that's a great one. So specific, you know, just to most recently, um, you know, our why. Uh, uh, when it comes to our food service team really is about kind of bringing that that aloha that vibe right but um the, the first step that uh, we usually look at is in front of the in front of the uh operator face to face right so trade shows how do we approach um experiential type of things where our team and and i think nobody nobody can sell better than the people on your team right so I know there's a lot of B2B stuff that we do, like uh, you know, marketing assets and collateral and media buys and things like that to try to get a message across and narrative. But at the end of the day, um, when and that's the beautiful thing about uh, why Simon, when he mentions the why is so important, because when your team is in the why, when your team is like fixed to that that anchor point, they're in, right? It doesn't matter whose strategy it is; it's our strategy. It's what we're doing, right? When you build a team that's so strong that you don't know who the boss is, I mean, that is utopia for sales. Uh, so I think for us and for me specifically in my in my um, career, I've always tried to build teams that everybody there is better than me. Um, if I'm the best person on the sales team and I'm not looking at a customer every day, well, then something's wrong, right? Building those teams that truly can uh, pivot themselves in your why and then, and then in their own way, again, right, going back to that diversity of thought and thinking and, and background, assimilate that why in their way and then put it together in a narrative that makes sense to that operator, right, to something that's relevant to them. And I think having giving your team that ability to flex off an anchor point like a why, uh, that's why it's so important. Because, uh, listen, I've been at companies where it's run the play, here's the play, here it is. And I don't I don't care who it is. If you tell me that's how you like to sell, I probably would disagree <laughs> vehemently on that, right? We, we're salespeople. We're, we have our own charisma. We have our own abilities. And I think part of making that sales pitch our way is the beautiful thing of, of sales. And no better place to do that, like I said, than food service. Right. And if you look at what you and the King's Hawaiian team has been able to do, it's a brand that's known, I would imagine, across every household in America. You've created a, a product and a story that has raving fans, which is what a lot of, you know, I, I'd say pretty much every food service brand within reason, you know, is striving for and is looking for. And I, I like that you have your why and your message and it's ingrained into each of your teams. When it comes to your team members, do you give them you know, kind of the freedom to make their own decisions, to be their own entrepreneurs? And yeah. if so, how does that look like? And, and how do you, you know, uh, I guess, what are some of the metrics that you use to measure their success? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, it's funny because uh, to me, entrepreneur thinking that mindset, it, it sometimes it gets used as a buzzword, I think, right? Like, be your own boss and, and own your business and this and that. And I think it's a trendy thing. And that sometimes I'm careful on using that word a lot because listen, yeah. if we were all entrepreneurs, we wouldn't be working at a, at a CPG company or a brand, right? We'd be doing right. our own things, right? So, but I do like the idea of like this mentality of you own your business and you need to know it cold. So one of the things yeah. I love about my career starting on the retail side with the Pepsi bottling group, it was, I was there on the front line selling every day. And nobody knew their 
nobody knew my business better than me. Like I knew my territory, I knew my accounts, right. I knew where I was and where I stood. And I think that allowed me, once you have that foundation, now you can take advantage of being a little bit of a flex type of player, right? You can take some risks. Sure. Um, I, I think when, when, when a lot of people hear, oh, you know, we want an entrepreneurial mindset, sometimes it gets almost thought mm -hmm. as of like, hey, be a maverick and go do crazy things. And while that's good, creativity is great, again, you need parameters, right? And I think you can only get really creative if you have a strong base of your business. Like if you know it, if you know it in and out, if you know what you can do, then yes, if I have people like that on my team, then I say, you know what, what do you think? What should we do? And then bring it, right? Um, because I, I will say in, in the past, I've had people where I give them that opportunity and you know what they come back with is a good idea, but what we miss a lot is how do we make a good idea a great idea, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of that comes with collaboration, leadership through influence, right? A lot of things that at, at the end of the day have to be learned. But to answer your question, so I know that was a very, very big, uh, long rounded answer, but I wanted to give that context because I do feel like that in our industry, we hear that a lot. And sometimes mm -hmm. when people say, well, I want to be an entrepreneur and it, it kind of like, a little a little flag goes up in my mind and I, I ask more questions because I'm curious about what they mean. But um, to answer your question, yes, uh, I think to me, if you ask me what the worst possible outcome of my career could be, is to finish up being at a place where I'm being told what to do every day. Uh, that to me, that is that is torture. So I, I, I live that every day. You know, it's funny. I tell my team all the time, you can call me whenever you want, but I'm never going to put a one on one on your calendar. So if you need me, call me. Right. But if you don't, cool. Um, we'll have monthly, maybe, you know, meetups where people are just telling us what's going on. And obviously we're, we're, we're touching the business every day, but I'm a firm believer in like, yeah, you, you got to build it. Um, at the end of the day, if, if you build it, you're more invested in it than I could ever make you invested in it. So strongly believe that if you have the right people, again, with the right foundation that know their business cold, that are, mm -hmm. you know, showing you that they can handle more then absolutely no, but Again, right? I'm not going to say no guardrails, but very minimal right. guardrails in terms of letting them lead that business. Uh, and at the end of the day, when that's happened, teams I've been a part of, uh, success has been a, a no-brainer, right? It's it's inevitable when you have people doing that. Yeah, for sure. I think you see some of the most successful brands, like a King's Hawaiian, where it starts internally. The marketing message starts internally. Mm -hmm. When you have your your team members talking very highly of the brand, that it, it kind of spreads onto the customer and out into the market or out into the, uh, to the, in the consumer's mind. You know, it's, it's a great way to start. And looking at your team and, and getting to know some of your team, you know, they really are raving fans of the King's Hawaiian brand. And I, I don't think you always see that across the board, but these are people that are not just talking about the product you know, with enthusiasm in front of a customer, but they're also talking about it online and uh, specifically social media. You know, we yeah. live in such a social media uh, heavy world. I call it the attention economy. <laughs> yeah, and sure. so that's, what is it or, or how, how do you get the team to, you know, post about it on social media? Is, is there anything that they do specifically or, or why is it that they are maybe more engaged online than other uh, people at other brands would be. 
Yeah. So for us, I mean, specific to our company, right? Uh, that's definitely in market marketing's role of what they, I mean, the great work that we've seen over the last decade uh, of just our marketing team really honing in on what they do best. Social media being one of them. I, I think we've tried to grow our, or we're trying uh, to grow our food service specific handle. And I think that's where we have a little bit more freedom to kind of uh, you know, slide into DMs for operators. And we have a lot of people saying, hey, I'd love to collab uh, with you guys. Uh, you know, I have two outlets here, three outlets there. And it's becoming a very cool like uh, place to to do some business if, if, if uh, you know, for back of, yeah. lack of better terms. I, I really believe, you know, like I said, we're lucky to be able to work for a brand like this that the Tyra family has brought to the world. A uh, great story, you know, of an entrepreneur, you know, Talk about entrepreneurship and literally visionary. Great, great brand, great company. And you know, for us, we just get excited of seeing our operators getting excited behind our brand and putting it on the menu. So uh, you know, we're always on Instagram, just kind of sharing that and 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 giving them some love on it because you know it's it's fun to see that. And when you have um, that authenticity, when you have that why, your sales team, and when we know who we are, right? Um, right. Our sales team—it's just inevitable that they're going to be—they're going to share that that feeling because uh, I mean it's like it's like kids, it's like golf, it's like the things you love, right? You want to share that with people. So yes. at the end of the day, I think it's a it's a very cool thing to have when your team literally, even when they're not working, right, or whoever they come across, wants to share that 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 beautiful story of what they do for a living, and and uh, it's just really cool to see. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned, you know, King's Hawaiian being a family brand, being a family-owned company. And in in the history of your career, you know, you've worked for large corporations and uh, I believe some family-owned, some maybe corporately-owned. What is the difference of working in a family-owned environment versus maybe more of a traditional corporate environment? And how has the family environment helped you to succeed with King's Hawaiian? Sure. Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think both have pros. Um, so obviously, being in a in a corporate environment like a PepsiCo, right, or a uh, Nestle, for example, resources, right? You have resources that you could only dream of elsewhere. Also, you know, just the broad uh, ability to buy in bulk and just a, a lot of these cost efficiencies, right? Which is, I, I mean, at the end of the day, if done right, is a dream for a salesperson. Right to have all the resources in the world, dissect all the data that you could ever want uh, is great. So I think I love my time there. I think PepsiCo really taught me how to think about things like how do you take a big complex problem and solve it using data, using insights, things like that. Um, on the family side, you know, family-owned, private. The cool thing about that is like at the end of the day, the decisions are made on the best, the health of the business, right? So I think that's huge. I, it's it's funny, like even at, at King's, uh, what I've seen is there's a lot of people that came from big CPG and now have settled into a place uh, like a King's where it's, you know, it's a large company, but again, it's private. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot has to be said about that, right? Being able to, at the end of the day, um, really own your career. Um, and uh, I, I, I like the ability of, I mentioned it earlier, right? Taking a good idea, making a great idea. Um, I think mm-hmm. what, what in my career, I've been in places that nurture that a lot. So for me, you know, there's a lot of opportunities I have, right? Uh, but some of the towering strengths that I've been able to use has been the communication, the, the the taking a narrative and bringing it and elevating it that makes sense, like telling a story mm-hmm. and allowing that to help us get resources and help us 
do things that we need to do to succeed in the business. So right. whereas in a PepsiCo or a Nestle, that's that's it's not frowned upon, but obviously mm-hmm. understanding the levels and the hierarchy and it's a much tougher right. to get straight and cut through the noise, right? So I love mm-hmm. that ability uh, in my career working with you know private companies too, is that sometimes the decision makers, it's a more of a flat organization. So for people that really yeah. want to strive to tell stories and get their message across and and be able to kind of uh, move a business forward, I think that's really been helpful. Yeah, definitely. You know, for our company, we're we're also a pretty flat organization. You know, we don't have a lot of hierarchy, and I feel like one one big positive of that is the flow of communication. It's easy. Yeah. It allows us to be more nimble. You know, whether it's Northern California or Las Vegas or Southern Cal, you know, we can make decisions and move a lot faster than larger moving vessels, if you will. Sure. Because we have that flat organization, it's almost, in a way, it is a, a, a maybe a competitive advantage. Uh, oh, absolutely! I, I find Being able to flex too and pivot, right? Uh, the other oh, thing yeah. too is big ships. Big ships turn slow, right? Smaller ships turn mm-hmm. a lot quicker. So that nimbleness is really, really cool to have. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and also being a family environment too. I, I think we, us and Kings Hawaiian and yourself, you know, probably share a lot of different and, and similar values. And, and one thing that we try to do and we're trying to get better at, I read this book called The Great Game of Business. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this book before, but it's really wow. all about, you know, looking at your team members and giving them more transparency, more information, letting them know the numbers or whatever that the, the factors that drive your economic engine. Is that something, you know, do you share, are you pretty transparent with your sales numbers or your budgets and things like that with your team or maybe not so much? It's funny because I have certain members on my team that they'll share the numbers with me because uh, they're right. so much in it, right? They're looking, they're tracking. The one thing about food service is obviously we, we do a lot of business through DOT, right? So um, our end u- our, we don't really see our end users as much. We see a lot of distributor you know, numbers and things like that. So we, we have to really geek out and go into the data and look at things. And um, nobody's better than that than our sales folks. Uh, they, they're all, they are on it. So um, we're a little bit different in that. But yeah, I'm a huge proponent of like, like I said, you hi- uh, who said Steve Jobs said it, right? You hire smart people so that they can tell you what to do. Not the other way around, right? right? We don't hire smart people and then say, hey, here's what I want you to do. It just doesn't make sense that way. So a lot of our strategies, a lot of our our, our, our things we do, and not just the Kings, across my career has been led by insights, right? The data never lies. So I think everybody having ability to look at that and draw their own conclusions that then, again, me or somebody else, we will we'll counter it, right? We'll say, okay, well, we'll pressure check it. Right. But at the end of the day, the insights are the insights and the, the trends are the trends and everything, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, nothing is new under the sun. Things have happened, it's cyclical. So when you can p- pinpoint those insights, right? When you can pinpoint those trends, I think it's awesome mm-hmm. to have a team that wants to jump on that. So yeah, 100%, uh, that's one of the things we do uh, on like a biweekly kind of cadence. We look at the numbers, uh, we, we ask questions. We ask questions of our broker partners. We ask questions of ourselves, everybody, right? Because at the end of the day, you can't have accountability without transparency, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. make you accountable for something you don't know that's happening. So when everybody's in and everybody is part of it, um, that's where true accountability lies. And at the end of the day, accountability becomes a, a not a passive thing, but an active thing, right? Because if I know I'm a part of something, I want to be actively accountable for what I'm doing versus passively accountable, right? I don't want to wait for somebody to tell me I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I want to be actively telling them, here's what I did. And I think 
that's a that's a paradigm shift that a lot of sales organizations have to go through. So we, again, we have a, a relatively small team for the industry, but even even in that, we do a lot more with less. And uh, the transparency piece is huge. It really is. I know you guys do a lot with that. Um, I've seen I've seen you guys in front of your your folks and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I applaud all, all uh, sales organizations that do that because at the end of the day, a yeah. smart salesperson is the best salesperson at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Drilling down a little bit deeper on accountability, you, you made a comment that you know, you're never going to put a one-on-one on, uh, meeting on somebody's calendar. How, you know, and being in a family-owned company environment, I think the, you know, kind of the uh, accountability is, is measured and, and tracked differently than, you know, maybe a more corporate structure. How do you keep your people account- accountable without kind of breaking their spirit? You know, because sometimes you might have to deliver bad news uh, or oh, might yeah. have to have a tougher review. You know, how do you deliver that without breaking their spirit and, and removing a, you know, a raving fan uh, from your team? That's a great point. Um, to me, um, I had very, very good sales leaders in my uh, early in my career that would preach that uh, feedback's a gift, and it helped me to establish this idea that if people are giving me feedback, it's because they want me to succeed. It's not because they want me to fail or that they're calling me out for failure. So for me. I think uh, uh, same thing on the transparency and accountability side, to your point, the feedback is so important because right. at the end of the day, when I, when you as a sales leader say, you know what, I've given feedback, I haven't seen change, and I haven't seen the rec- like people receiving it, you kind of say, well, you know what, in any business scenario, where can I take my resources now and get more out of it? So you never really want to be in a situation where you're not getting feedback. And I would say to a lot of people out there, ask for feedback constantly say, and and not like, Hey, how am I doing? No, like be, be prescriptive with it, right? Like, Hey, want to pick your brain on this? Or, Hey, I've noticed this would love to get your thoughts because I I think a lot of people younger in their careers are, they, they, they shy away from the feedback. And I think you can't do that. The only way that you will become a sales leader is showing leadership before you're a sales leader. So, um, you, you know, making yourself a manager doesn't automatically make you a leader. It's just the title, right? So, how do you lead through influence? And I think understanding the gift that is feedback back and forth helps you understand okay, how do I get better at influencing my peers? So that way, one day when I'm ready in my career, leadership will come naturally because you understand that part of that leadership cycle is the feedback, the continuous feedback. You know, I'm a big proponent that your end of the year review or mid-year review or whatever those conversations take place, I really think they should be more frequent. We do that uh, a lot here where we have constant conversations, but regardless, those shouldn't be a surprise, right? You should know where you stand. You should know what you need to work on. And again, always asking for that feedback and then taking it, showing it, uh, executing against it, um, I think that's a good two-way street. So, you know, I, I really believe that um, when you look at kind of in your career and how you've grown, and I don't know, Nick, for you, um, what what that I, I would assume too in sports, right? Like, no no place yeah. better than competitive sports, right? Like, it's right. I, I love it because that's where you get the brutal feedback. I think in business we're nicer, but in sports, man, it's like, <laughs> dude, 
No, right? Um, so I think right. a lot of people that have done those competitive kind of things, and maybe not just sports, but competitive, you know, other things like uh, debate and things like that, right? Those right. folks that have a tough skin on feedback and they understand what it, what it's it's capable of doing are the ones mm-hmm. that just skyrocket in their career, in my opinion. Yeah, I be, you know, looking back at my time playing uh, high school and collegiate sports, you're right. The the coach would give you it, its immediate feedback. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it could be in a conversation or they're yelling at you a, across the field. It, it, and you're right. Feedback is a gift and mm-hmm. it is very important. And you made a very profound quote that I wrote down, showing leadership before you're a leader. Now, yeah. that is something very interesting. When you see someone that is exuding leadership or showing leadership on your team, are you quick to promote that person or give them more responsibilities? Or what do you usually take with those people? You know, because not yeah. necessarily everybody has the capacity or even wants to be a leader. But those that do and are showing leadership, you know, what is kind of your take and, and how do you empower those people to be you know, more effective in your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I think where I start is, okay, what type of leadership is it? Is it thought leadership, right? Is it actionable leadership too, right? Because what makes you a leader? Followers, right? People need to follow what you're doing or saying in order for you to truly be defined, right? As a leader, a leader has followers. So in that scenario, I've seen many people in my career where the thought leadership, it's like just like the right questions, right? Right. The, The curiosity, and you want, like when you see that, because to your point, not everybody has that. I mean, let's be honest, right? Uh, right. There's certain people that you're like, he or she gets it, right? Like that's, and then there's right. other people who are like, you're trying to teach them like, hey, ask questions, right? Uh, I think there's a, uh, there's a quote, right? He who speaks most loses, right? Because you want to ask questions. Yeah. You want to yeah. get things from other folks. So in a, in a, in a business to business and a client type of uh, organization, you want, you see those, those curious folks that ask a very profound question that gets them a lot more information. So two things. So for thought leadership, yes, absolutely. I try to I try to shine a big light on thought leaders on my team in any capacity or even even colleagues, right? Across functional teams. When I see thought leadership, I love it because it it helps inspire myself too, right? I think we can all learn right. from each other. Um so yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's funny because if I look back in my career, the first time I was with PepsiCo, I was young, out of college, right? I didn't know what I was doing, I would, but I was a sponge. I would ask a million questions and, you know, I pushed myself and I had, uh, I'll, I'll never forget to this day, uh, we, we're, we're still, we, we still talk. There was somebody on the team that was just as strong, if not stronger than me. And we pushed ourselves and we pushed ourselves right. and pushed ourselves and pushed ourselves. So I, I love this ability or this uh, opportunity that having mentors and and having colleagues that really push you and and shine a light on the good things you're doing and how that inspires them to push through and do more. So um, for me, I I think younger in in that career though, because you're successful at what you do as an individual contributor, well, what's the thing that most organizations do? They say, well, now you should lead a team of individual contributors. And to me, looking back on that time, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Uh, I, I started leading a team and you took what was best of me at the time and you put me be, behind people that were doing. So now I, ha- I had to teach people to do what I did. And I was not prepared. I did not have the capabilities to to be a sales coach or a sales leader. So I think we do, ourse- uh, we do ourselves and I think we do our people a disservice 
by saying, hey, here's a great sales professional. Mm -hmm. Let's give this person a team. So then you're like, okay, wait a minute. So now this person is doing less of what he he or she is really good at. So I think the leadership piece, again, it's, it's a big one. But I really feel that there's moments where you can learn how to be a leader. You can learn traits like being there for others, asking a lot of questions, supporting people. People think that leadership is you are now the person that gets all the acclaim and all the awards and gets all the fanfare. Uh, And it's not that, right? You are the person that breaks down walls, that listens to your team, hopefully, and, and you listen to them and you say, okay, based on this feedback, here's where I really feel like the next step is and let's work on it together. It's not like, look at me, look how great, look at the sales I close. Like that's not, it's to me, that's not what leadership is. So I really believe that leadership through influence to me is the highest level you can achieve of leadership. If you can get your colleagues and your peers to bend their will to yours, to me that you're a leader. It doesn't matter if you're a director, manager or not. It doesn't matter. You have now shown that by telling a story or being there for people, you have now said, hey, what if we did this? And if they follow you when they don't have to, I mean, what what higher level of leadership is there in my opinion, right? So I think when, the more we see that in our sales folks, the more we see that kind of spark, that curiosity, we cannot uh, put it out. We need to, we need to, throw gasoline on it. And exactly. that could be in terms of more more, more responsibility. It could be more like, hey, shadow me on this call. I'm talking to senior leadership or I'm talking to my boss and you know, here's how I look at it. I, I, have, I have somebody on my team currently that's literally been a sponge and it's like, hey, so good idea. Here's the next steps, right? How do we now make this a great idea by bringing in cross-functional teams, how do we tie the threads together where it's a, a story that's an overarching narrative versus here's this one person's idea, right? And I think those are the things that I love. I love to do in, in my job. I love those opportunities. Watching people grow in their career is, I mean, it really is such an extrin- extrinsic type of a benefit. And I, I think we should be doing more and more of it. Yeah, definitely. You know, in our own company, you know, we see people. We've kind of, we have similar to what you were saying, two leadership buckets. You Mm -hmm. have kind of your visionary person who has ideas and and bigger picture views. And then on the other side, you have the actionable leader, somebody who's Mm -hmm. more uh, maybe on the execution side, somebody who is more of a doer, you know, and when you pair the visionary and the execution person together, you have a great team that can be very successful. Absolutely. So I'm curious, as the director of food service sales and strategy for Kings Hawaiian, where did you learn a lot of this? Or is it has just been through maybe just kind of experience and doing it yourself? And, or, and maybe what is one nugget or two that others can take away to become a director of food service sales and strategy themselves? Yeah. So for me, um, one thing I would say is don't chase the title. I think you do yourself a disservice by not doing a lot of cross-functional type of like lateral moves. That's why I love that my career started somewhere at PepsiCo where I I could have I I literally you I could have retired at PepsiCo and done a new job every 3 years if I wanted to. This was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up to build something. But um you know, I, I think for those that are younger in their career or aspiring to be kind of on on sales leadership, 
Uh, I would say do a lot of cross-functional things as much as you can, especially when when you're kind of you know uh, on on the forefront of your career, right? That's going to help you uh, later on. I know there's a lot. I've had a lot of colleagues that you know they they they're chasing after that carrot, right? I want to be a director. I want to be a VP. I want to be a, a president. And listen, that's great. That's good. I, I think that when we are younger in our careers, though, we don't realize what those jobs do. <laughs> And you know, a lot of people think that you know it's it, it's a great title on paper, and sure, it's awesome, but it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of things that maybe you love selling, right? You love being in front of the client, you know, building relationships, and then you become a VP, and you do less and less of that. You're doing more internal things, right? And leading, right. Uh, you know, big strategies over five-year timelines. So really understanding what the job entails, right? If you're, you're diving into P&Ls all the time, right? So I, I would just, again, I'm not cautioning people to not strive to be successful. Absolutely strive to do it. Um, I think right. something that's helped me is just, I try to find spots where I can be authentic and be different, but not different for different sakes, but where can I bring a different thought process? Where can I listen a lot more? Where can I ask the right questions? And I'm at a spot right now in my career where I'm very comfortable in my own skin. You know, I, I, I feel that at the end of the day, the things that come out of, out of me to a partner resonate and are relevant on their own, where I don't have to do a lot of extravagant things to get that message across. So, uh, and that just comes with time in the industry, time in, in your career. So patience is one, right? Be patient. There's a lot of times where I, I jumped at a job because I just got impatient and I thought that was the thing to do. Uh, where it ended up not being probably the right move. So patience, knowing yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if you're at a spot that takes care of you, takes care of your family, you have fun at what you do. You know, those are, to me, those are the things that you, you, sometimes you, you can't put a price tag on, right? Um, so you can call me janitor. Doesn't matter. If, you, if you're telling me I get to do what I do every day now, I'll take it. I'll take the job. Yeah. So um, for me, uh, again, right, being true to yourself, being authentic, you know, if, if people are going to the right, but you think the left is the right move, trust your gut, trust your gut, figure it out, especially when you're younger, right? Make make some more risks uh, younger in your career, make some switches, right? I, it's funny, not so not so long ago, I had a conversation with, um, with somebody on my team and literally I said, listen, I'm going to be straight up with you. I'm going to tell you what I wish people would have told me earlier on my career. Sometimes to make a drastic jump in either, you know, compensation or role, you have to leave. You just have to do it. So here is her current manager telling her that, or, you know, that you may have to leave. And at the end of the day, that's what's right for your employee. That's what's right for your, uh, uh, your, your team. It's, it's their betterment, their development. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, that's the, the world we live in, right? With, Inflation being Definitely. where it is and things like that, you know, we, we know this is something, I don't know if uh, you guys are seeing this a lot too, but holding on to the right people is, is something that's very, very important. So what are those intrinsic things that you can bring to them uh, that help them do that? So those are things that we're working on. Uh, those are things that we're constantly looking to do. And that feedback cycle has to be there, um, I think, on a constant basis. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said, you know, don't chase the title or do a lot of cross-functional work. Be patient, know yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started in food service, I was 22 and my dad and I, we started our company together. Immediately out of the gate, I wanted to make all the money in the world. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I, was, I was determined to do whatever it took. And that was the only thing that I cared about. And, yeah. it, and I was hyper-focused on that. 
as time went on, I got I, I focused less on the money and I focused more on what is what more value can I drive to uh, a manufacturer or to an operator or to a distributor? What service can I offer? What pain point can I solve for somebody or for a company? And by focusing more on that, over time, my business grew a lot faster as opposed to I just need to go out and, and, and gather and get as much money as I possibly could yeah. um, you know, to get going. So that's definitely a, a big lesson that I learned early on. For sure, absolutely. If you had one defining moment looking back in your career so far, what would that be? One defining moment? Um, maybe one that, that sticks out that's, you know, it's one that you'll never forget. Wow, man, that's a, that's a big, big ask, Nick. You're putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a big defining moment per se. I think it's been a bunch of small moments that kind of have led me to things. Um, I will say though, you know, leaving PepsiCo and coming uh, to my to my current uh, employer at Kings has, well, I think, was one of those moments where I bet on myself, and I kind of said, right. you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready uh, to build something. I'm ready to kind of go in and just learn something and learn learn from more people that have uh, kind of done uh, what what I'm trying to do currently. So uh, I, I think for me that, that that was almost five years ago. So it's gone so fast. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I mean, right now, I, I've never had more fun in my career. It is unreal. I, I wake up every day, I pinch myself and I say, man, I can't believe this is what I get to do. It's just so fun. Our team's awesome. I tell my team all the time, we spend so much time together, we might as well like each other, right? I think you have to like who you work with. You have to. If, if you don't, mm-hmm. it's a very low chance you're going to be successful, right? Because there's right. so many things that just kind of get in the way. So we're a group that likes being around each other. We're a group that truly um, believes in the cause of what we're trying to do. Um, and I think for me, that that has been one of the biggest prizes of of kind of taking that taking that jump and taking that leap, and you know, working with really really good folks. Um, and again, uh, having a lot of fun. And uh, at the end of the day, like I mentioned before, earlier on in your career, the fun you you don't you don't. Uh, you don't think that's something that you sh- should be in your consideration set when looking at career moves, right? Fun. No, it's not fun. To your point, right? It's, this is where I make money and, and build wealth and do all these things. And yes, all that is great. But ha- being able to have fun at what you do is, I think it's a, it's a life hack in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, you know, especially for people that are younger, newer, getting into the business, you know, and that you had mentors. is. Yeah. You know, looking at the mentors and the people that you surrounded yourself with, is there any nugget that you've gotten from somebody else uh, that's maybe more that had more experience than yourself that you take and, and still apply to this day? Yeah, like the whole leadership through influence was from a manager I had um, early on in my career, and when he mentioned that to me, it really changed the game for me on how I looked at my career and what success truly was. Right, like okay, I was making numbers and I was doing great things. And yes, that's all great. But was I really making a difference outside of that? Um, and how was I being perceived and things like that? So for me, one of that same manager with the leadership through influence thing also mentioned to me the difference of what a mentor is, what a sponsor is, and what an advocate is. And I think those are very, very, very different, right? Your mentor is somebody you go and you just literally, you just kind of, uh, what's the word? You just uh, you just vent to, right? You're like, here's what's going right. on. 
I don't know what to do. Help me. Right. Uh, a sponsor is going to be that person that knows what you're about is going to be in a lot of those rooms. Right. And say, Oh, mm-hmm. I can take a, I take a flyer on Ivan. Right. I, 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 I've seen this, I've seen that, right. Or is going to talk about you when you're not in the room. And then an advocate, that's when you start making moves, right? Because an advocate for you now is truly when, when those decisions are being made, right. We talked about the room where it happens, those rooms where you're talking about people and headcount and what's next, you need an advocate in that room. And if you don't, uh, it's, it's very tough. So, um, I, I think for me, the biggest nugget is understanding that everybody says, can you be my mentor? Can you be my mentor? And it's not just about mentorship. It's about other things too. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about that is just like everything else. And, and the reason why I don't put one-on-ones on my people's calendar is because mm-hmm. I need to see that you want to talk to me, not that I'm trying to talk to you. So you want That's a one-on-one, great you know, you want a one-on-one with me, put it on my calendar. It's up to date, put it on there. I'll accept it, but I'm not going to go and try to say, Hey, can we talk? Hey, can we talk? You need to talk to me whenever I will talk. Now, don't get me wrong. I call them, right? And I, you know, hey, what's going right. on here? What's going on there? But like on a, on, a, on a cadence, you know, that's that's on them. So same thing with a mentor, right? I've been mentors before where I literally get on the phone and it's like, so what's going on? Nothing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what can I help you with? I'm good. Right on. Okay. So shortest call ever, yeah. right? So I, I think understanding too that, it's not just a box to check, right? And, and I think sure. younger in your career, I think you need to leverage those mentors and sponsors and advocates a lot more. And listen, I think this generation coming up is doing that a lot more, right? I think they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're looking at things, uh, to your point, right? They're not looking at just money or compensation. They're looking at other things right. too. And uh, I think right. that, 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 that's good. And I know that they, they value feedback and actually ask for it. One could say that sometimes they want the promotion a little quicker than, than what I would <laughs> asked back in the day, but um, I, I like that. And I do think that they understand that, hey, that person can help me, but I need to be proactive in, uh, in how they can help me, right? I need to set the stage so that they can kind of kind of swoop in. So one thing I would say to everybody out there, if you're looking to kind of uh, get a mentor or a sponsor, an advocate, Look at those three things differently. And then lastly, just come prepared. Uh, if you make things easy for somebody, they're going to help you, right? But if you make it right. work, probably not going to get the best results. So if you make it yeah. easy, you put it on their calendar, you tell them, here's what I would love to get out of this uh, on a monthly or bi-monthly basis and just shoot your shot. And I'm telling you, if it's easy like that, it's as easy as me saying accept and it's on, right? So. Uh, I would say be proactive, put it out there and show them what the vision of what you have for it. And I'm telling you, you'll be surprised how many people will accept. I love all of that. That was fantastic. If you could look into the future and reflect back on your time in food service, how do you want to be remembered? (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, I I think if... This is hypothetical because I don't think anybody's going to ask, hey, how should we remember Ivan? But I think if, if you ask me, if I could look back on all the time that I've spent in the industry, I think I'd want to be remembered by the people that came across my path and what did I do to help them get to the next level. So that person started with Ivan as a sales rep and look at them now. They're a director, a VP. They're starting their own business, right? Uh, those are the things that I think you live on in those people. And, uh, you know, we talk about legacy a lot. We, we throw it out there. And 
what is that legacy? And you, you're not going to be remembered. Let's be honest. Nobody's going to remember you, right? You're going to be gone. <laughs> I'm going to be gone. But the people that you inspire, the people that you push and help get to where they want to get to, they'll remember you. And I think at the end of the day, as I look back in my career now, you know, spanning over 20 plus years, I still remember the people that helped me along the way. I still remember the people that said, you know what? This kid's got something. I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to show you around or I'm going to show you the ropes. I'm going to teach you how, how things happen. Right. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's it, no individual accomplishment will ever surpass what the people that you had working with you and for you and even against you, right? Like, you know, yeah. frenemies and things like that, that pushed you to be better. Uh, those are the people that truly will, will kind of carry on after you're gone. So at the end of the day, uh, that, I think that's what I would say, man, you got, you got real deep on me, Nick. You know, I tried, <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I'm all out of go, questions, man. but, <laughs> but you, I, I mean, I think there's much, there's much more to be, to be done and nowhere near the end, but yeah, it's always good to think about those things for sure. Definitely. And I just want to say, Ivan, thank you so much for coming on the Titans of food service podcast today. Thank you for taking time. I, I know you're a busy guy and, uh, just really appreciate, you know, uh, going deep with me and sharing your story. I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with, with you for sure. My pleasure, man. I appreciate it. 